We're continuing this morning with our sermon series on Proverbs. Somebody asked me after the first service how long this was going to last. And uh, I said, only one more. You got one more next week. And uh, and, uh, we will be uh, on our way to something else. But in preparing for this uh, sermon series... Uh, a couple, two, three months ago, I referred to articles that I found in a theological publication that I get from Union Theological Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. It's called Interpretation. And the uh, article that inspired me really for the series was written by a person named Ellen Davis. And she had some uh, very profound insights on the value Uh, Proverbs and the fact that we too often overlook that value in our worship experiences and particularly in our preaching. So I give thanks for uh, for that good word that I received uh, that led me to uh, to hopefully providing you through the power of holy the Holy Spirit with some good words about Proverbs and from Proverbs. So this morning, hear these words from the 12th chapter of Proverbs, the 15th verse. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. That is God's uh, simple yet profound word for us this morning. Now, to go back uh, a bit to Ellen Davis, one of the great insights that I got from the uh, writings that she did concerned how to, how to really look at Proverbs or this theme in Proverbs. Because in Proverbs, there appear to be two distinct categories of people. There are, are the fools, and I'm not calling people over here fools, But they're the fools, and then they're the righteous. And believe me, I'm not calling you righteous. But those two distinct categories of people. The insight that that Ellen Davis had was that it really, when Proverbs speaks, it's not really speaking about the fools and the righteous. What Proverbs is telling us is that at times, all of us can be very foolish And at times, all of us can engage in great acts of faith. It's not about somebody else, be they they foolish or righteous in our own eyes. It's about us. It's about you. And the choices, the two choices that you have to make. So in that good word, or that good idea, that good insight... Proverbs guides us further in looking at choices. And one of the things that Proverbs points out to us is is the power that engaging in foolish decisions can have. So I thought we'd have a quote this morning from, from a really famous guy. who who has tried to convince us uh, of the power 
uh, of making uh, one side, uh, a one-sided choice. So. Don't know the power of the dark side. Okay. You don't know the power of the dark side. And how easy it is to lapse into, to fall into foolish choices. Proverbs also says in the 10th chapter, the 23rd verse, and looking at these these two contrasting choices and the lessons that we can learn from them, Proverbs 10.23 says, Doing wrong is like sport to a fool. But wise conduct is pleasure to a person of understanding. So I thought we would show you some foolish conduct this morning. And probably the, the more foolish of the, contact, uh, of the conduct is that in the movie clip that you're about to see, the folks that produced the movie, that directed the movie, thought that this foolish conduct was, was worthy of, uh, of laughter and uh, uh, perhaps uh, even suggesting that it might be a fun thing to do. The foolish make sport of foolish conduct. The final drill is for hand-eye coordination. That was from the movie Benchwarmers. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that movie or not. Uh, the scene involved a game called Mailbox Baseball, and maybe you've heard of that game. Hopefully you haven't played that game, but I know that uh, I won't say it was wildly popular when I was in high school, but, but I know that it was popular and that there were several uh, of my friends. That was one game I didn't engage in that, that uh, did play. Doing wrong is like sport to a fool, but wise conduct is pleasure to a person of understanding. When I was pastoring church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, right before I came here, so this would have been uh, about the mid-90s or so, we had an act of vandalism that occurred at the church, and the church was a, uh, uh, the exterior of the church was Georgia white marble. And the act of vandalism involved uh, some folks who painted graffiti, spray painted graffiti on the exterior of the church, on one of the walls of the church. And when uh, we discovered that, there was you know, great concern over whether it had destroyed 
one of the marble panels or several of the marble panels and how much it would cost to replace those. So that was one of the concerns. The other concern was the type of graffiti that was on there, hate symbols on there, swastika and some other things that uh, indicated uh, hatred for different groups of people. And so we called the police, I called the police, and they came out and investigated. And as I was talking to the officer, the officer suggested to me that I would get more attention, the police department would pay more attention, if we filed this as a hate crime. And he said it would qualify because there's some symbols on there that, that would make it, uh, you know, fall into that category. And, and I said, well, sure, if we can uh, have a better chance of solving the case, if you guys would pay more attention to it than just a you know, misdemeanor vandalism, let's do that. And so that's how we filed it. Uh, lo and behold, less than a week later, they... Uh, arrested the folks that had done the, uh, who had spray painted the church. And there were three high school students. There were two boys. There was a girl. The girl actually lived almost right across the street from the church to live with her grandparents. When uh, the girl was interviewed, and when uh, we had a chance to talk to her and ask her, why she had done it. She said it didn't have anything to do with hatred. Uh, She said we thought it would be fun. It just seemed like we didn't have anything else to do. It just seemed like it would be fun to uh, just go out and and spray paint. And gosh, your your church offers the perfect canvas because you have these, these, you know, white exterior walls and they just go on forever. So that's how you got chosen. We didn't have anything against you. We just thought it would be fun. And so we did it. And she said, we did it for sport. Doing wrong is like a sport to those who are foolish, who engage in foolishness. I read it several years ago a book that was written by Chuck Colson, Charles Colson, who was involved in the Watergate scandal during Nixon's time. And he was one of the uh, chief operatives, if you will, in the, in the cover-up particularly. And Colson, in, in that article, indicated that there was, there was a certain element of thrill in, in, in knowing uh, or at least thinking that you could get away with something. There was something appealing, tempting about doing uh, what was done. Now, if you know anything about Chuck Colson, you know that he went to prison for that crime. You know that later he founded Prison Ministry Fellowship and really a, a ministry designed to help people who had done foolish things be able to recover from those foolish things, to listen to wise counsel, uh, to learn from Colson's poor choice. Proverbs also says, 
repeating the words in 1215. Fools think they're right in their own way. But wise listen to advice. Fools think they're right in their own way. And two examples from history. First involves Winston Churchill, who, of course, went on to be a great inspiration to literally millions of people during World War II. But in World War I, when Churchill was Secretary of the Navy, he devised a plan that was going to help the British win World War I. And his plan was to, to, to basically cut off the German army uh, by going up through Turkey, one of the allies of Germany, and by basically uh, coming in uh, behind them. And they had to go through a narrow strait, and on that strait, they had to, in order to, to do that, they had to take a hill called Gallipoli. And the British and the Australians and the New Zealanders lost thousands, thousands of men in that battle to try to take that well-defended hill, that well-defended fortress. Thousands of people. And never, and even some years later, did, did Churchill acknowledge the foolishness and the continued foolishness of trying to win that battle. Fools think they're right in their own eyes. Now, of course, Churchill did learn and was humbled by the experience and went on, again, to, uh, to be a key force and driving force in inspiring the world to fight and defend freedom against advancing Nazi armies. Fools think they're right in their own eyes. Another example, uh, Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. There was a book written about this called A Team of Rivals. What Lincoln did during the Civil War is surround himself with people who were of differing opinion. He didn't want yes men, yes men and yes women around him. He wanted people who shared a different point of view. He wanted to hear what they had to say. Gave them opportunity to express. And in the wisdom of that decision was able to make wiser decisions. By listening to people who had different points of view. One of the most dangerous things that Proverbs warns us against is being so certain that we're right that nobody can possibly tell us any differently. We don't need to listen to anybody else. We don't need to hear anybody else. Because we know. And the person that's advising us uh, doesn't have any wisdom to offer because the foolish are always right in their own eyes. You can have that experience at every level of life. You may have been that foolish person when you were a child that didn't want to listen to anybody, especially your parents. You may have had that experience as a parent, trying to get your child to listen. Or a grandparent, trying to get your grandchildren or your adult child to listen. Listen. 
to understand that you still have something, some words of wisdom to offer. And we cut ourselves off from that wisdom. We're foolish if we think we're right in our own eyes. We're certain of our rightness. Proverbs warns you against that, uh, that train of thought. Proverbs 14.9 says that fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy God's favor. question has been asked, particularly in this day and time, is religion, does religion have any words of wisdom to offer wise advice, or is religion the problem? Is religion part of the problem that we have in the world that causes us to be constantly at each other's throats? And, truth be known, religion has prompted foolish behavior for many, many decades, centuries Uh, during the uh, Protestant Reformation, 1500s, there was a movement that emerged, and it was uh, labeled, this was not a term of endearment, it was labeled Anabaptist, literally meant against baptism. And these weren't Christians that were against baptism, these were Christians who were for a particular form of baptism. The kind of baptism we practice at First Christian Church. Baptism by immersion. But so alien was the idea that a person needed to be immersed to those who had been having their children, infant children, baptized immediately or very shortly after birth by having water either poured or sprinkled on their head. That the idea of immersion of an adult was uh, troubling, to say the least. And here's what happened. This was a battle between Protestants. This wasn't Catholics and Protestants. These were Protestants. Here's what happened. So incensed were those who uh, saw these folks that wanted to immerse So incensed were they by the Anabaptists, these people who were against baptism. And they said, fine. You want to be baptized? You think immersion is a good way to be baptized? We'll baptize you. We'll baptize you until you're drowned. We'll keep putting you under and under and under, over and over again, until there's no life left in you. George Blaurock, one of the leaders of the Anabaptists, eventually arrested for his uh, continued uh, advocating uh, of baptism, of of that form of uh, an expression of the faith, Uh, eventually arrested and he was executed, burned at the stake. When you ask the question, is religion the problem? 
And our minds drift to one particular expression of religion, and perhaps not even uh, the Christian religion, to Islam. We do so at the risk of failing to remember our own troubled past. Go back uh, to North Carolina again. Uh, While I was there, the church I served, they had a ministry. It was called Summer Away. And the church members didn't go away. What the church members did was they brought children from Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland still in turmoil, violent turmoil at the time. They brought children from Northern Ireland, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids, to spend the summer away. And to spend the summer with, with a family... If they were Catholic, the child was Catholic, they spent the summer with a Protestant family. If the child was Protestant, they spent the summer with a Catholic family. For the sole purpose of giving them some demonstration, giving this child some demonstration, that yes, people of faith can actually get along. Can actually value each other. They're not geared to taking lives, but to saving lives. Just 20 years ago. Fools mock the guilt offering, Proverbs says. In other words, uh, the confession of sin. I've made a mistake. That I've done something wrong. You cannot acknowledge. Uh, We're not able to acknowledge through our own humility, our own shortcomings, and our own failures. And when that attempt is made, people, uh, the, the word for Proverbs is, uh, people make fun of that. There's no need for forgiveness. There's no need to acknowledge your shortcomings. Always play from a position of strength. Never play from a position of weakness. Don't acknowledge your weakness. Well, Jesus, in the fifth chapter of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, says this. You've heard it said to those in ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, That if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, and here's a a twist on this. If you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. I think what Jesus was trying to remind us of in those verses... That it's not an either-or choice. It's not a, it's not a, you're either a fool or you're righteous. It's both and. Both of us have moments, or all of us have moments of foolishness. Things that we do wrong that we need to ask for forgiveness for. All of us, hopefully all of us, have moments where we express the faith in very loving, compassionate, 
profound ways. But it's never either or for us, for you, for me. It's always both in. We can always stumble into being foolish. And what Jesus says to us is remember who you are. Remember that you're God's child. Remember that God looks upon you, not and doesn't define you by the mistakes you've made, by the foolishness that you've engaged in. God doesn't look at you as fools, as foolish. God looks at you at, at, at what you can be, what God desires for you to be. God says, you're not going to be defined. I don't define you by your foolishness. You can move beyond that. You can set that behind you. You can leave that behind you. Your past can be in the past. Jesus says to us, look in the mirror and don't see the person who's made more mistakes than you care to admit. Look in the mirror and see yourself as God sees you, as a child, beloved by God, as a person that God desires the very best for in the way that you live your life in the way that you express your faith and in the strength and power that you'll need to do that. Fools, uh, those who are foolish and always believe they're, they're right in their own eyes will always have trouble looking in the mirror and seeing what God, God sees. See, the wise and the foolish are not two distinct groups of people, but rather two contrasting choices that each of us make at any given moment. God is always encouraging us to make that choice, to love, to forgive, to know who we are through the eyes of God. God is always encouraging us to choose to be faithful, to be righteous, to set our past and our mistakes behind us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the grace and mercy that we know through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love that is ours. God, we thank you that you're patient, far more patient with us than we are with other people. Lord, keep us ever mindful that we are just as tempted and just as subject to making mistakes as any of your children. God, help us to seek your way and your will in our lives. Knowing that you'll help us as we seek and as we ask. For it's in Christ's name, amen.